Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales, a live storytelling event based in Sitka, Alaska. This evening's program was originally performed and broadcasted live from Harbor Mountain Brewing in Sitka on January 17th, 2023. Welcome to Sitka Tells Tales, airing live on KCAW Sitka. I'm Ellen Frankenstein, one of your hosts. And I'm Christina Tierman, your other host. (laughs) We are so excited to be here with a live audience at Harbor Mountain Brewing Company. We're here in Tlingit Ani, the ancestral homelands of the Tlingit people, with respect and gratitude for this place and the people who have lived here and told stories since time immemorial. The theme tonight is Tales of Tales, Stories of Cuteness, Chaos, and Connection. We have seven stories from zookeepers, dog mushers, and pet lovers, true tales of encounters with wild creatures, and deep connections with turtles and other critters. And we're so excited to collaborate with the Friends of the Sitka Animal Shelter and share what they do. Friends of Sitka Animal Shelter is a 501c3 nonprofit. Our mission is to provide quality care to animals in need while offering resources, services, and education to the community. And thank you so much to Raven Radio for airing this live so those of you who cannot be here in person can join the fun and be a part of this pet-loving community. Our tellers for this episode of Sitka Tells Tales are Louise Brady with Tori O'Connell and Matt Jackson, Johnny Elliott, Janet Clark, Kari Poshchin, Misha Lopiano, April Weldon, and Emily Pound. We are so appreciative of the tellers and everyone who has made this evening possible. Let's welcome our first teller, Kashich Kla, Louise Brady. She'll tell her story with special guests, Tori O'Connell and Matt Jackson. Welcome to the stage. <laughs> you do a sock. So this is my grand dog. <laughs> You're supposed to go, ooh, ah. She's, thank you, thank you. She's probably the coolest dog, as you can see. She's wearing purple sunglasses on our way back down from Harbor Mountain. So I don't know how many dogs you know that can pull that off. So she's the coolest. Um, and I'm going to cheese, thank you. Um, so Chevy and I have been pretty close for the last six years. She's nine. I don't know. Maybe, she, maybe for eight years. And my son, she's a rescue from Prince of Wales Island, as there are a lot of dogs here in, in Sitka. And my son would bring her over when she was a puppy. And oh, my God. I was like, why do you bring her over here? She was obnoxious. She liked me. She would jump on me and lick my face and hide under the couch. And I was like, please don't bring her. Please don't bring her anymore until you can calm her down. And then I took her for a walk, or she started taking me for walks because she's 50 pounds and, and full, just all muscle. And I don't know what happened. Before you know it, I'm so like can I have custody, like, <laughs> on Friday night? And, and then it's like, you know, can I have unsupervised visitation? Maybe, like, Friday and Saturday. <laughs> and then it got to the point where I thought, you know what, I'm not even going to take her back until he asks. <laughs> the longest I had her was five days. So obviously she grows on you. And I think that uh, she is a, such a very important part of my life. She's helped me get my health back. She makes me go out and walk with her every single day, whether I want to or not. And so she's pretty special. And, you know, that actually fits within our culture because, you know, in our culture, it's the, the animals are also sentient beings, and they have a spirit just like we do. And we even actually have a healing song in our culture that is about a dog and how dogs are healing. So I love that. And Chevy fits that so much. And so 
We walk on the cross trail. I'm really, really picky about who I walk with, and that's why I mainly walk with Chevy up until a couple of years ago. We allowed Tori and <laughs> we allowed Tori and her buddy Scout uh, to walk with us, and uh, and so Chevy and Scout are really great friends, and they get you know they get the zoomies. And if you would like to see, I have probably 500 pictures of her um, on Facebook. You know, a few weeks ago. Um, Chevy and Scout were out on the cross trail with Tori and I, and Chevy chases squirrels, and it was just like, usually she stays close, and all of a sudden, you know, she was getting further and further away, and then pretty soon I heard a yelp, and then silence. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happened, a bear. And it was pouring rain really, really a downpour, and it had been somewhat icy. And, and Louise had heard the yelp. I hadn't heard it, but we weren't quite sure where she had gone, so we all kind of stood there to see if there would be another sound, and maybe there would be a bear there. But we didn't hear anything. And so we started walking back, and it was off the trail, but we didn't know where, because Chevy wasn't even making a noise. No, Chevy wasn't making noise. We're, we had gone up not very far, uh, we were in between the high school and the ball fields and a place where we always have the dogs off and they run up after this squirrel and, and I thought, she sounded like she was a long way away. And then I didn't know what to do so Scout and I started walking up the hill and I'm thinking we're gonna have to go pretty far and then I'm thinking, there's probably a bear. What am I doing? But I thought, well, we can't just leave her here. And then not very far up the trail I realized, you know, I'm 65 and I'm gonna break my other Wrist, so we should think about what we're doing because how are we going to find her? And calling, calling, no Chevy, no Chevy. And I went to turn around to tell Louise, I don't think this is the right way to go about it. And Scout pretty much bit me in the butt, which is <laughs> what she does when she's annoyed with me. She just poked me in the butt and I kept walking. Oh, we got to go faster. So uh, anyway, I went right around this tree, not expecting to see anything, having called the dog. And there's Chevy, beautifully laying there like a sphinx, and I thought, and she's not looking at me, and I thought, what is going on? She thinks we're mad at her or something. And I yelled to Louise, I found her. I think she must be hurt because she's not getting up, but she seems fine. And then I went up to her and realized she was caught in a trap. Right, right. And yeah, it was terrifying. And um, she wasn't making a noise, she wasn't moving. She was stuck, and the trap was stuck in the ground, and she was stuck in the trap. I am no good in an emergency. And I thought, what am she I was. supposed to do? She did. I'm like, everything. oh, I think she's caught in a trap. Like, I didn't want to say it out loud. And, um, and so Louise made her way up there and was holding on to her dog in the pouring rain. And then we were struggling to get the trap off. And I would recommend to everybody before you leave tonight, if you have a dog, pick up one of these pamphlets by the front door, what to do if your dog gets caught in a trap. Yes. But it was very, very difficult for me to try and figure out how the trap worked and get it off the dog. Um, and um, we managed, but, you know, I called my husband, how do you get this off? And then we couldn't figure out how we were going to get her out of there. And so I called Lee House, who is in the house, and who is a mountain rescue. Perfect. He didn't answer. <laughs> so I called Jackson. And if anyone knows Lee, everyone knows that he's the, the best friend you could have and a very competent mountain rescuer and also never answers his phone, which is the best, the thing that I like most about him because people only call me after they called Lee and he didn't pick up. Um, and uh, I'm actually not, I, I like dogs, but I'm not like the world's biggest dog person, but I am one of the world's biggest Louise people. And so when Louise called, I picked up and I was like, what? Uh, is, she was like, she was very calm when she spoke to me. Actually, she was like, how's it going? How's your morning going? Do you have time? And I was like, yeah, I, you know, I work from home. I'm just sitting at my desk. I don't have a Zoom for an hour or two. What's up, Louise? And she's like, oh, Chevy's just caught in a trap. And I'm like, what? Like, the, you know, the brakes screech in my brain. And I'm like, what? Um, beloved Chevy, if, if you guys haven't had the opportunity to see Chevy uh, on a trail, Chevy is like a 60-pound hunk of, like, bulldog mix meat that runs at like 30 miles an hour, like up into the woods and disappears for like a minute and then phew, back. And so I was like, wow, she could be like, she's a big dog and she could be like quite a ways off the trail. And so I grab uh, 
a blanket, just whatever's lying on my couch, like a little throw blanket, and I run out to the um, trail, and they, uh, I don't have a good sense of smell, so I actually went the wrong way, and uh, then had to have Tori come and find me, and uh, I wrapped Chevy up in the blanket, and Chevy was, like, really surprisingly calm until I, I think you guys heard me when I said that she really, really loves to run. So even though she was wrapped up in the blanket, the second we got back to the cross trail, she literally leapt out of my arms and like tried to run again, but it was really sad because like her paw was hurt, so she couldn't really run. Um, but we scooped her back up and got her back to the car. And I'm actually hoping that Louise is going to return my blanket tonight because she still has it's a it. Pendleton. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I love Chevy so much and I just bought her ticket for Olympia. Her mom and dad are going to take her. So Aww. if you see me, I know. And so that has nothing to do with the trapping incident. <laughs> no, no, no. And, um, so man, you know, if you can volunteer, volunteer, I'm going to, I'm kind of afraid to, because I'm afraid I'll want to adopt every single dog. <laughs> But I think I'll give it a try. So thank you. Sorry we ran over. <laughs> thank you. That was awesome. Makes you all think about the traps. And Luis, I think you're going to have to volunteer and get a new dog. What do you think? Okay, so now it's time for our next teller, Johnny Elliott. And I have to warn you. When I'm around and I hear you tell the story, I may ask you to tell it because Johnny act, told him, I Johnny just happened to tell this story and then I captured him and here it is. Yeah, I guess careful what you tell Ellen at a party. So I'm Johnny Elliott and this is an advertisement. In the fall of 2019, my partner at the time had moved into a new room in her house and the room was about three times the size of the previous one had a king-size bed was unfurnished there's all this sort of bubbly newfound potential about the room and we started you know thinking about what the room could look like what it could have in it and she was like you know like I think a, a pet is in order like we have this space now like, this is an exciting thing. Well, the landlord had a clause in the lease, a strict no pets clause. She even texted him about it, no flexibility. And so we knew it had to be a pet you could hide. <laughs> we started thinking gerbil, guinea pig, weren't really up our alley. And then I was like, well, what about a turtle? And she's like, yes, yes, like a turtle. And so... It became this thing that we were, we were going to have a turtle. Uh, it was really going to bring the room together. <laughs> and it got to the point where we were, started telling our friends, like, you know, we're going to get a turtle. Uh, we were bouncing turtle names off of people. Uh, what do you think about this as a turtle? Uh, we almost named the turtle Ernestine Hayes. Uh, and then we decided, uh, because we liked the sort of celebrity route, we went with Kate McKinnon. We were going to have a turtle, and the turtle's name was going to be Kate McKinnon. That Christmas, I went home to Juneau, where I'm from, and my dad's girlfriend has this crazy feisty dog named Badger who will eviscerate basically any toy. And so I went to Petco for Badger's Christmas present to get an indestructible Kevlar ring that he could just chew and chew and chew and it would be fine. And I knew this was a great gift. And you walk into Petco, and one of the first things you see is these turtle tanks there on the left. And so I was like, oh, I should, you know, text a picture to my partner. She'll think this is funny. And, like, as soon as I do that, my phone starts ringing, and she's FaceTiming me, and she's like, get one. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh, okay. And... I realized that this is not just like a good bit, but like something that we're actually gonna be serious about now. And so I, I get the turtle, not then, I, I, I thought about it for a little, then came back, then got the turtle, got the big whole starter tank and basking platform and all that. And I went to get on a flight that night and when I got to the gate, uh, or not to the gate, to the uh, like check-in kiosk, a gate agent 
approaches me and I sort of was like, yeah, like I have a turtle. And she was like, yeah, I'm going to talk to my manager. Not a good sign. Manager comes out, gives the news that you expect. No reptiles on Alaska Airlines. They're a salmonella risk. You can check him, though, or you can check her, though. And I, well, it's January. It's January 1st. It's freezing cold. It's a checked bag, you know, in an unheated compartment. Cold-blooded organism. No way she's making it. So thankfully, I told my dad, you know, if there's any, I don't know, problems with getting a turtle on the airplane, could you stick around? And so he stuck around in the car, and then I sadly brought the turtle out, brought the tank back. He took it to a friend's house, and she kept the turtle safe for a while. Shout out Izzy if you know her. She's the godmother of the turtle. (laughs) And I flew back to Sitka. I went to this big, empty, not brought together room with my partner at the time. And we were just sort of mourning not being with Kate McKinnon. And we were so sad that we booked tickets that night to go fly to Juneau. And in a week and a half, we were going to go there, we were going to go on a rescue mission, and booked ferry tickets back. Well, the ferry doesn't allow pets either. (laughs) Well, they do. It just has to be in a car, and anyone who's brought a dog on a ferry, you know, you can only, like, visit at certain times. And, well, I both don't have a car to bring over, and, like, same whole thing, cold-blooded organism, middle of January, freezing cold, not going to work out. So we end up uh, having her in her tank and using little mason jars of warm water to, like, pour in and, like, keep her warm. And I grabbed, like, a rutabaga as I was heading out the house. I was like, I don't know what turtles eat, and, like, chop up the rutabaga. And so people in the cafeteria get to watch me, like, oh, the turtle is in its clear... uh, case but then with a canvas bag around it so I'm like in the cafeteria like pouring mason jars of water and like sprinkling rutabagas into this canvas bag which everyone I'm sure thinks is super normal (laughs) anyway we get back home to Sitka and she does really bring the room together and you know COVID happens I end up breaking up with this person the person moves away I am here with Kate McKinnon and through all of COVID she's been sort of my really stable thing in my life like every day just gives the stability I need to be her son in her river I need to take I need to wake her up by turning on the light I need to clean her tank I need to feed her all those things that happen in the wild and so I I am leaving Sitka this summer and I know that the hassle of getting Kate off of this island will be quite difficult for her She is quintupled in size, at least. And so, if there's anyone out there who wants a steady companion who can really bring a room together, let me know. Thank you so much, Johnny. Great story. And we are sad to hear that you're leaving Sitka, but we do hope that your advertisement worked so that your turtle does not have to come to the shelter. Our next teller is Misha Lopiano. (laughs) Misha is someone who has worn many hats, from photojournalist to glacier guide in New Zealand. Misha has taken many twists and turns to find himself here in Sitka. Misha, thank you for sharing a story with us tonight. So this is a story of how I came to Alaska. It's also a story about how the choices we make lead us to where we're supposed to be. So in 2016, after my brief and exceedingly average photojournalism career, I found myself where a lot of 20-somethings do, living back home with my parents in Northern California. And by this time, I had driven across the country a couple times, lived a lot of places, but nowhere really felt like home, not even my parents' home. So after a summer of really deep existential ennui uh, and no job prospects on the horizon, my girlfriend at the time asked me, 
hey, do you want to move to Fairbanks in the middle of winter to work, for, work as a dog handler for a musher for no money but room and board? And I said, yeah, all right. Uh, that relationship didn't work out. Turns out Fairbanks wasn't the only thing that was cold and dark. Uh, spoiler, it was me. Jack, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I did move to Fairbanks in the middle of winter, and I did work as a dog handler. And our responsibility as dog handlers was to care for between 40 to 60 dogs at any time. And our responsibilities were to keep them fed and to clean up their poop. And it's a lot easier to clean up dog poop when it's frozen and 30 below. Just if you're thinking about moving up there. Uh, but this, these dogs are athletes. They're, they're working dogs. They're, the musher's entire lifestyle is centered around these dogs. So it's a, it's a big task. Like I said, they're athletes. They have, so they need a high-protein and high-fat diet. So that means they have to eat a lot of meat. And just a short list of things we fed them is chicken skins, tripe, one time a horse, different story. Uh, my favorite were the big 50-pound blocks of beef that said not for human consumption in big black letters on the side. You know, not sketchy at all. But one thing we fed them was... Uh, de-skinned beavers. So after trappers take the pelt off, they have a lot of beaver left over, it gets sold to mushers. And my job for the day was to thaw it out, and we had this system, uh, and I don't really have a better way to describe how we did this other than witch's cauldron. <laughs> this really big cook pot. And so... I'm going to tell you what's in what we call beaver stew. It's five whole chum salmon, straight in the pot, two coffee cans of rice, one five-gallon bucket of kibble, 20 gallons of water, and two of these skinless beavers. And I'm out there one day, and I'm stirring this pot, you know, double bubble, boil and trouble. <laughs> and... It's, it's really cold. The, my snot had frozen into my mustache. <laughs> and I'm stirring, and the smell, you could not believe, really makes your nose hairs curl. And I'm watching, and the normal stuff is coming up, fishtail, rice, kibble. And then my ladle hits something. And as I'm stirring, out of the water rises the face of one of these skinless beavers. And we make solid eye contact, or as good as it could be because one of its eyes had fallen out and its face was melted off and its big orange teeth were looking up at me. And that was the moment I asked myself, how did I get here? <laughs> what decisions did I have to make to get to here? Even the beaver was like, dude, you're out of your element. <laughs> so I ended up not becoming a dog musher. Uh, but that experience, for good or for better or for worse, inspired me to see other parts of Alaska. It inspired me to apply for a job in Skagway the following summer, which led to me falling in love with the Tongass and with Alaska. And it led to me finding a place that feels like home. Thank you. Misha, thanks for uh, stirring the pot and staying. And you'll notice there's a little thread of relationships in these films. I mean, in these stories. Sorry, I'm a filmmaker. Um, I'm, I'm interested in that, but that's another story. Just so you know, you're tuned into a live event and broadcast of Sitka Tales Tales with the friends of Sitka Animal Shelter. And it's time for our next storyteller. It's Kari Postin. Kari grew up in Sitka and recently found her way home after a 10-year stretch living in Oregon and Washington. Welcome. Thank you. 
The air was cool in the first light of the morning. There was sage, the smell of sage in the air, and there was kind of a musky scent coming off of the leaves that littered the ground along the canyon. We could hear the crunch of the gravel underneath our feet as we walked through this space, and we could hear the echo of that crunch. And after the hundreds and hundreds of people that we had seen along the main road coming through Zion National Park, it was really a beautiful moment to just be alone in a space. We rounded a corner and came into a patch of sunlight. Ahead of us, the canyon closed above our heads, the walls almost touching on either side. And there was the sheer rock wall, the sheer sandstone wall, and then the trail was about a two-foot-wide kind of shelf. And then right on the other side of that shelf was this deep and very narrow cleft down into the rock that kind of disappeared into darkness. And my hiking partner and I walked into the shade of this corridor made of stone and paused because 100 yards ahead, at the end of this corridor, we could see the outline backlit against the light behind of a massive buck. Huge rack of antlers on this and massive chest. You could see the neck muscles of this buck standing out even in the shadows. And we had seen other deer in Zion National Park, right? There are dozens of them amongst the human hubbub grazing in the middle of parking lots. But this deer was different. We made our way slowly up this narrow path through this dark corridor of stone <clears throat> until we were scant yards away from the buck. And it hadn't moved, hadn't even twitched. So we, you know, raised our voices, waved our arms, trying to get him to kind of move aside so we could enter out of the corridor and, and, and continue down the trail. Not a single twitch. Finally, my hiking partner at the time, uh, who was also my romantic partner, grabbed a pot off the back of his pack, took it in his hand, leaned over and banged it against the trail in front of us. The sound of it bounced off of the rock walls and this massive clatter created so much noise. And the buck took one step towards us and into the corridor. <laughs> That was the point at which I decided it was time to retreat. So I grabbed the back of my partner's shirt and we started to walk slowly back. The buck followed us, taking slow steps down this path. As we walked faster, he did too, slowly gaining momentum. And I had this moment where everything inside me kind of froze as I watched him lower his head with these huge antlers. I had time to take several running steps, and then the buck charged. And I have these just, from there it was just snapshots of these moments in my brain where I remember being backed up against the sandstone wall, feeling that grit against my neck and my shoulders. I remember the flash of white fabric as my partner ran past me and flattened himself against the canyon wall. And I have this memory of the individual white hairs on the underbelly of this buck as he flew past us at eye level in this massive leap. Now he landed right on the edge of this canyon that was on the other side of the trail, just right on that sharp edge and scrabbled frantically trying to not fall in to that cleft. It looked almost like a cat on a hardwood floor, just legs flying all over the place. And eventually he was able to regain his footing and just continued at a full run down the trail and out of sight. My partner and I looked at each other and we're like, took some deep breaths. He turned to me and said, I, I felt him. He touched my elbow as he went past. And we both looked at his elbow. It was unscathed. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually, we continued down the trail. Um, as we walked, we talked about what could have caused that buck's behavior. Why, why had it been so aggressive? 
you know, was it the rut? Was there a doe? Was there a predator? And eventually we reached the top of that trail and we stopped and sat down. And a minute later, these two hikers followed us up and one of them had a wound on their leg and it was bleeding down his leg. And he said that they had seen this deer come around the trail corner at them full tilt, running as hard as it could. They'd bailed off the trail and had ended up um, falling. And that was how uh, that was how they had, you know, gotten this injury. And it made me think about this deer as it had made its way slowly down the canyon, solitary, by itself, hooves crunching on the gravel. And it made me really consider the larger context of why this deer had potentially acted the way it had. Because, you know, ultimately, they're seeing hundreds and hundreds of people every day. And I think, ultimately, I think that deer had just had enough. It's like, enough with your racket. I'm out of here. Like, I am not sinking back into the brush. I am on this trail. I am staking my place here, my claim here. And he followed the path, swept us all aside. Thank you so much, Kari, and thank you again to KCAW Sitka for airing this live. Um, it's hard to imagine being that close to a living buck. And also, was anyone else a little surprised that Kari's partner went behind her, right? Instead of like protecting her from the buck? <laughs> yeah, ex-partner, which is another underlying theme of our stories. So our next storyteller is Janet Clark. <laughs> Janet is the education director at the Sitka Sound Science Center, which just goes to show that you can have a full career that is perfect, teaching middle schoolers math and science and then finding a second career that is equally as perfect. She is telling a story tonight because she truly admires the efforts and dedication of the Friends of Sick Animal Shelter. Thank you, Janet. When a person is described as a one-trick pony, it's usually not a compliment. But in this story, I want to pay tribute to a one-trick pony. Not actually a person, or certainly not a pony, but rather a sled dog. The story starts exactly one year before I did the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, which is to run a dog team down the streets of Anchorage in the fur rendezvous races. And I, I didn't grow up with sled dogs. Uh, but when I came to Alaska, fresh out of university, I fell instantly in love with the sport. Just like any other big endeavor, it takes years to grow something that's been an instant attraction to something much more. And it was years of working on training and conditioning and care and nutrition and improving the quality of dogs and ourselves and our equipment to reach a point where the story takes place. And that is, in one February, my husband Dan and I looked at each other and said, I think we're ready to take on the greatest challenge in sled dog racing, and that is the Anchorage Fur Rendezvous Open World Championship sled dog races, a race that's so historic and so unique that there are these superlatives attached to it, sometimes called the Indy 500 of sled dog racing because, because of the speed required. There's no trotting in this race. And the distance of it, it's three days, and each one of the days is 25-plus miles of running, which means that you're running the equivalent of a human marathon, but it's back to back to back. And in addition to that, the obstacles that make up this course it makes it like a steeplechase. There are, you're running 14 miles down city streets and bike trails. You're running over bridges, under culverts, past churches that have hot dog feeds and spaghetti feeds in their parking lots, right? All of this on this trail. And that means that it takes like a special courage and expertise to face the Rondi Trail. But that's just for the musher. For the dog, for the dogs, it takes an extraordinary dog, an elite dog of the sled dog world, and even more so, a leader that can run in front of a team on such a course. 
So Dan and I looked at each other and we knew we needed to have an experienced leader. And we decided to go straight to the most decorated champion of the rendezvous that has ever existed, George Atla. And George is well known for raising and training outstanding open class leaders. When we went to him, he said, I think I have a dog for you. It's a funny looking dog, but rock solid. He'll take you around the rendezvous trail for sure. George didn't spend a lot of time thinking about dog names, so that spotted dog was called Spotty. <laughs> well, Spotty was nothing like a mental image of a sled dog. He was striking, brilliant blue eyes against a white coat with those funny freckles. And he was a real unassuming dog, a gentleman dog. He was a lovely dog to work with, great appetite, good feet. Uh, it worked hard, was so quiet, and dogs liked him. People liked him. He was a great dog to be around. He also led a team with an absolutely unflappable, single, consistent pace that just was easy to count on. He was a one-trick pony, but in the sled dog world, we called him a one-gear dog. So Spotty and I and the team all worked together. We worked up for the whole year of preparing for rendezvous, and boy, that rookie race came up so fast, too fast. There we were starting our rendezvous. I wish I could say that the, what I might have built up about the rendezvous in terms of its challenges was, you know, was, it was scarier or harder in my imagination, but that wouldn't be true. It was more difficult than I assumed. And as a matter of fact, later I was quoted in the paper of saying, honestly, childbirth is easier than running the rendezvous. <laughs> and I still stand by that statement. So, but you know who was completely unfazed by it? Spotty. Spotty led that team down through all those obstacles and more that I didn't imagine. And he took the dogs through everything that happened, day one, day two. And we get to the end of day two, and we look at it, and we suddenly realize we're in contention for 10th place, the last paying position in the entire field. And all of a sudden, we realize that actually, Spotty's one gear pace wasn't fast enough. And in dog mushing, there's a truism. You can't push a rope. The dog team can't go faster if the leader can't. So we thought about this, made a big decision. It was hard to give up on our tried and true leaders, but we made a plan and the next day executed. Day three starts out, we put up our tried and true leader, Spotty with Snickers, and they run us out of town. But at the predetermined spot, I stopped the team, raced up the team, took out from the team a younger, less experienced, but faster leader, ran her up to the front, told them what great dogs they were, hooked her in instead of Spotty, and moved Spotty back into the team. And when we took off, without that one-gear dog up front, that team sped up. And we raced home, streaked home. You know how in softball, when the winning run comes across the home plate, everybody cheers that person, but they really recognize the batter who batted her in? Well, that's what happened this time. Spotty wasn't in front when we crossed the finish line on the third day. He was in the team. But it was his leadership that meant our team was there. And it was an awesome run. After those three days of running, two women in a field of about 23 competitors, Roxy Wright Champagne took first. Rookie Janet Clark took 10th. <laughs> Spotty, our one-gear dog, our one-trick pony, he was also our hero that year. Thank you. Thanks, Janet. That was awesome. It's so fun to hear dog-mushing stories in Southeast Alaska, far from the fur rendezvous and the Iditarod and everything else. Now, if you're listening to us on the radio, this is KCAW Sitka. Now, I'm super excited for the next teller for Sick of Tales Tales, April Weldon. And she is a woman that has so many stories. 
We're only limiting her to one, but you're gonna love it. Hello. So I have been an animal lover since I can remember. So of course I wanted to get into the veterinary field. So the pinnacle of my career was working at the San Diego Zoo. So that was a goal that I had forever. I have so many stories, like she said, from wrestling alligators to having a macaw jump on my shoulder and make my heart stop. And recently, having a bald eagle kind of have an accident. <laughs> Let's say shat pretty much all over me. <laughs> and that was only a couple weeks ago. So, yeah, so I narrowed it down to one story, and it's a short and cute story. So um, we had to do a procedure on a polar bear at the zoo. And um, I don't know, like, if they just decided to volunteer the new girl or what, but I ended up in the back of an open flatbed truck with an over 1,000-pound polar bear, and it was me and the doctor and, you know, a couple other people driving. And, of course, this is in the zoo before it opened up, so, you know, nobody was walking around, thank God. And the bear was asleep. I mean, hopefully sedated enough, but I was sitting in the back of this flatbed truck thinking, like, this does not seem right. Like, I shouldn't be just, like, driving around the zoo with a thousand pound bear next to me. It seemed kind of a dangerous situation. They probably should have paid us hazard pay or something for that. But anyway, so we get up to the hospital and um, she was actually rescued in Canada and her name was Chinook. And so they were doing a pregnancy test check for her and doing an ultrasound and kind of making sure everything was okay. They were hoping she was pregnant, but she wasn't. So the doctor handed me the clippers and just said, you know, sh shave her belly, you know, for this ultrasound. And I don't remember ever asking anybody if I could do this, but I decided to shave a big heart like <laughs> shape on her belly. And I thought it was cute and everyone else seemed pretty entertained. So, you know, everybody snapped some photos and things like that. So, and I've got some really nice pictures that I'll always remember. This was like 17 years ago, so it, I pretty much like remember it like it was yesterday. So, I mean, it's kind of a big deal laying next to a polar bear um, while it's asleep, of course. So about two days later, well, actually it was probably about a day later, I'm driving in my little golf cart, you know, going to do medications to a different animal, and there's a bunch of people standing by the polar bear exhibit and I'm like, oh, what's all the commotion, you know? So I pull over my cart and, you know, walk up to these people. And no one had cell phone cameras back then, so they actually had, like, real cameras. So I'm like, they're all looking, and here is Chinook. And she's just kind of, like, sitting down on her butt with her legs kind of in the air a little bit. And you could see the big, giant heart. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm like, that's my artwork. <laughs> and so the people that were standing there, I was like, uh, can you, like, email me those photos? Because, like, I really want those. So they did email me the photos, and I have them in a scrapbook, and I will cherish them forever. Um, but I talked to a friend of mine the other day because I mentioned the story to her, and she goes, if you did that right now, she's like, the executives at the San Diego Zoo would need a resuscitation. She's like, they would not let you do that now. And I was like, well, I'm glad I worked there when I did because... We were allowed to do a lot of things back then. Paw prints and nose prints and um, all kinds of cute photos with all the animals. So I'm hoping that that little heart design, you know, brought some people some joy. And the kids probably thought it was really cute. And, and that's what zoos are about. They're about connecting people to animals. Um, because if you don't know or see these animals... Um, how are you going to protect them? How are you going to care about their environment and, and what's going on in this world? So I just felt like that helped, you know, connect people to these creatures that, you know, were here before us, most of them. <laughs> but, yeah, just I just thought it was kind of a, a sweet story that I could share with you all. So thank you.
Thank you so much, April. And thank you for the work that you do for all our animals here in Sitka. And now you guys know what to request next time you take your pet to Pet's Choice for a surgery. So it is time for our last teller of the evening. We have Emily Pound. <laughs> Emily hails from Stowe, Vermont, where she grew up surrounded by breweries and dogs, her two favorite things. She wants to personally thank Zach and Harbor Mountain Brewing for being awesome and making the tastiest suds in Southeast. And I do want to give you all a bit of a trigger warning for Emily's story. It's a beautiful story about connection, but it also includes themes of loss. Thank you, Thank you all. Um, dogs have always been a part of my life. My first dog was named Winnie. She was adopted by my dad in Florida before I was born. And she was this golden mix. She was buff and she was super high energy um, and she was perfect. Except in my like three-year-old brain, she had one flaw and that was that she wouldn't cuddle with me. There was an exception though, and that was during storms. In Vermont in the summer, there would be thunderstorms. And when the lightning would roll through, there was this one time that it just shattered the sky. And when you saw that, and she freaked out and she sprinted upstairs and I ran after her and we ended up in the bathtub cuddling and shaking together and it was a safe space. Um, and we grew up together. And as I grew older, I was noticing when he was growing slower. There was one day I was walking down the stairs and I found her and she was laying there her eyes were closed and she looked more peaceful than I had ever seen her. I called to my mom and I said, Mom, Winnie is sleeping. And she came up and she just shook her head and she went and got my dad. And I witnessed their pain. And the days and the weeks and the months ahead, I processed Winnie not being there. Um, but also, and that was physically and emotionally, I felt as though a piece of my heart was missing. Years later, my parents got another dog. His name was Barley, hence the brewery love. <laughs> um, he was a golden retriever from a breeder. And he was super goofy. He had the longest nose and a long tongue to match. And he was perfect. Our first year together, I attempted to train him, and I deeply failed. And our second year, we spent hiking. I graduated from college, and I remember swooping him up from my parents' house, and we went to the trailhead um, at Hellbrook, and we climbed up to Mount Mansfield, and I remember hitting the alpine and the wind in our faces, and we both had this blonde flow, and he was smiling, and I was smiling, but mostly panting because I was trying to keep up with him. After that, um, it was soon after that, I moved to Sitka, and Barley was at my parents' house. He had turned three just then, and it was a few weeks later that I got a call from my parents. He had been chasing after a deer, and suddenly he collapsed. And um, it turns out uh, he had a heart attack and immediately died. And I was again confused, but I was also angry because this wasn't the cyclical natural life cycle leading to death that I had learned through Winnie. This was premature. And the thing that stuck most is I'm an only child, and with that comes many things. <laughs> but in my experience, it was a connection to dogs that meant the most to me. They were my best friends. They were my closest confidants. And they're the closest thing to a sibling. They provided structure and chaos and play and joy uh, and the stability that I needed and loved. And so processing Barley's death, which took longer than I wanted to admit, um, and deciding to stay in Sitka, I knew I needed another companion. Enter Lenny. <laughs> Leonard is a retired sled dog from Kinnick. He 
is spunky and he is stubborn and he is sleepy and he is perfect. <laughs> There's just one thing though, he's aging. He just turned 11 and I find myself trying to relax on the couch with him and I'll have this existential crisis about his mortality and he'll be snoring and then he'll sense me panicking and then he'll wake up <laughs> and he'll paw at me and then roll on his back and beg me to rub his belly and I concede. He demands me to be present and to be brave. And so I take him for a run on the cross trail and then we come home and then he inevitably goes in my neighbor's yard and he pees. And then I <laughs> just um, scold him. And then I scold myself for still being terrible at training dogs. <laughs> and then we come home and I put my hand on his rib cage and I feel his chest rise and fall and I breathe in and out and I am reminded that I'm whole. There isn't a piece that will be missing of me no matter what because of the connections that I've made and continue to try and make. And that's enough for right now. And there's just one more thing about Leonard. He loves to cuddle. <laughs> Thank you. Doesn't that make you want to cuddle with a pet? A huge shout out to our storytellers for bringing Sitka Tells Tales to life in person on the radio. Thanks to Kastika, sorry, Luis, Luis Brady with Toriel Connells and uh, Matt Jackson and Johnny Elliott, Janet Clark, Kari Pastian, Misha Loprano, April Weldon. And thank you, Emily. Thanks to Harbor Mountain Brewery and the Campfire Pizza for making food and beverages and making the space available to us. And to the Sitka Daily Sentinel for helping us get the word out. To our timer, Rachel. To our photographers, Micha and Zach. To Ellie for her help. To Jason and John, Jean and Becky for helping us make the stream and broadcast of Sitka Tales Tales happen. And Dave Emmert, who edits our shows and gets them ready for podcasts. <laughs> Thank you to Ellen and Art Change for putting these events on. And it's been awesome to collaborate with the friends of the Sitka Animal Shelter. We want to do it again. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. Woo! Thank you for joining us for Sitka Tells Tales, a live storytelling event based in Sitka, Alaska. This evening's program was originally performed and broadcasted live from Harbor Mountain Brewing in Sitka on January 17, 2023. For more information or to hear more of Sitka Tells Tales, you can go to artchangeinc.org and you can find more information on Friends of the Animal Shelter at sitkaanimalfriends.org. This episode was made possible by Sitka Salmon Shares and individual donations from listeners just like you.